Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think, of course. Uh, read us over Indie Cornrows as well. A lot of good stuff coming up. I'm psyched to be joined by my co-host, colleague, friend, Tom Lewis. Tom, how are you doing today? Uh, doing great, Mark. Offseason is uh, ripping and rolling now for the Pacers. So enjoying all the all the information that's coming, all the rumors, all the BS, all, all that stuff. Line it up nicely. Well, I'm fine without the rumors and BS. I would rather just have stuff happen, and then then we can go from there instead of having the impending doom of, uh, of what rumors mean. Uh, but I agree. Uh, we are less than three weeks away from the draft now. I think we're 19 days. Yeah, it's on the 28th and it's the mm. 9th today. Uh, so coming up a lot faster than I think I or anyone is ready for. Um, we're already two games into the NBA Finals, which is kind of wild to think about as well. And then free agency and summer league happen – pretty shortly after the draft. So we have uh, a, a lot is going to be pretty condensed pretty quickly as soon as the finals rip off. Um, we are here today, though, to talk about some draft prospects. I know that you had a bunch of questions that you wanted to ask me, and we'll dive into some stuff. Um, so where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I, I was uh, – I know you've been really tracking <laughs> a lot of the prospects and, and doing some deep dives, and, um, and I've always – you know, look, you know, look at the mocks and, and listen to a lot of podcasts, read stuff. Um, but I, I haven't, you know, dove into technical stuff on, on some of these guys and, and how they may fit better. And, and you know, I kind of just uh, form a opinion on guys that I realize often is based on just my feel and nothing else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for instance, at the very top of the draft, guy like Evan Mobley, um, I've seen him play. And that's the other thing. Like, if I've seen a guy play a little bit, that can impact my impression <laughs> yeah. big time. So, like, a guy like Evan Mobley, I, see, I saw him play a few times this year. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, the, the motor and juice and energy in his game. And he's so thin and young, and that's always scary. I mean, there's, there's red flags with, with young big guys like that. But obviously he's skilled, and that shows up every once in a while. It's like holy cow! Um, and it seems like he's still really highly rated. Um, and then another guy that I saw, I saw his first uh, the G League game, um, and he was an absolute beast, Jonathan Kaminga. Um, and I was like, holy cow! This is like, you know, at minimum OG and OB 2.0. Um, with with a much higher ceiling, but then you know I didn't see much else after that. Obviously, he didn't shoot the ball that well. So those are the types of things where um, um, you know, like guys like that. Um, I wonder if um, how you feel about those guys. I feel like I keep hearing Kaminga is like dropping out of that like top five level. 
Yeah. So number one with Mobley, um, those are, it's, it's, it's stuff that I've tried to toy with and, and bring it up. And as I've gotten deeper into scouting and, um, you know, talking to a lot of my friends who were scouts, uh, with Mobley, it's interesting because, uh, they were like, like he, he's hard. Cause he's not a guy who's, uh, like his demeanor on court is not like, like you're mentioning, like he's not somebody who's extremely emphatic on court. Like he's kind of the antithesis of Domas, like Domas gets really fiery, on court that's not Evan Mobley um and so I think sometimes when you like just on first glance you can watch that and be like oh well this guy like what what is he you know is he is he playing with energy out there um I think I would say it's just it, it's more so in like going back through and, and really re-watching stuff um I think like a lot of people would probably point out and say there were moments for sure where he I wouldn't even say that he was dogging it or anything like he was very clearly like there playing hard but you could tell like he was kind of bored at points because he was so much better than the competition. Um, like that was an issue for him in high school because he was just so good. He would just try random crap that like, like just for the hell of it, which is actually kind of interesting developmentally. Cause now um, I mean, he's capable of ripping and running on the floor. He's got a really good handle for his size. He's a good passer. He's going to be able to initiate some offense at the next level. Um, the shot is still coming, but I think that's something that will be there by the end of his rookie scale deal. Um, the defense is what's just incredible to me, though. Um, like he's not a guy who's probably going to be your primary rim, rim protector like he can do it. But again, like you mentioned, he's 215 right now. And he's about seven feet tall, so he's got a lot to fill out. But um, in terms of like his just timing and ability to alter shots at the rim. Uh, like he's up there like being almost as good of a shot blocker as miles already. Like he's mm-hmm. so good. Um, and he moves ridiculously well on the perimeter. Like um, what's just wild about him is he has stretches where he can, he looks like he's just a wing on court and then he's able to come out of nowhere and, you know, uh, alter something at the rim or just send it into the stanchion. And it's like, you know, that's, you see that stuff and it's like, okay, well that's not, something that very many there are about four or five guys in the NBA right now are capable of playing that way. It's like Jonathan Isaac, Giannis, um, Anthony Davis, and the list is pretty short. Um, so that's why Evan Mobley is so high for me. Uh, like he's my number two prospect um, by a pretty decent margin. Kaminga is really interesting. Um, I've been a little bit like he's somebody who I really struggled with. I did a deep dive on him recently. I didn't write on him because I don't think that he's going to fall to the Pacers. Um, so yeah. I haven't done anything with him over at IC, but, um, no, you're right. I mean, he had a saying that he had a rough, uh, stint in the G league ignite team would be kind. I think he had finished with like 48% true shooting, which is not Ooh, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, the problem is like his highs are so high, but then his lows, like where his floor is at. And that's, you know, where he's more consistently at is, is rough. Um, like, I just don't think that right now like part of it it's not even his fault it's just um he didn't start playing basketball till he was 15 he came over to the U.S. and, and started playing prep ball here um because he's from the if I remember correctly he's from the Democratic Republic of the Congo um he just hasn't played a lot of basketball and it shows through on court because overall like it's kind of like um a little bit I mean it's different this is not meant as like a diss towards Miles but kind of like you know how Miles would always pause and hesitate whenever he got the ball I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. Kaminga right now. So, like, he always has a lot of uh, like he has the tools to uh, to be somebody who can, you know, create really high level advantages in the in the NBA and, and kind of take advantage of a defense and uh, find ways to attack them. But the problem is he just can't process the game quickly enough right now because 
he hasn't played a lot of basketball. And that's something that you hope, okay, well, maybe he's going to be able to rep that out. But right now, I just don't think that he's at a level with his shot or his feel for the game right now where he's going to be that high-end level of prospect. So for me, I have him, I think he's 13 on my board right now because I think he's probably going to end up being more of somebody who you have to play as, um, like, like I think some people have way over course corrected as we are, you know, there, there can never be a middle ground. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people have like thrown him at the end of the first round or like early second. I'm like, that's crazy. Okay. He has, he has the, he has the tools to become something real and teams are always going to bank on that and take opportunities there just because, you know, in terms of physical gifts, there just are very few people who can rival him even in the NBA right now. Um, but the, the problem is just making that all happen. Like he's going to be, it could be a really like, you know, probably three or four years before you start to see positive impact on court. Like that's just my estimate, but like, it's going to be a while before he gets there. Cause even like he'll have flashes defensively too, that are really nice. But then other times where like, I think people see stuff and they're like, Oh, he's just not trying hard. It's like, no, he just, he can't keep up with the speed of the game because he's well, not sure, used to it. Yeah. And um, so that's where I'm at with him right now. Like I do, I think he might actually need some more time in the G League to be completely honest, um, to, mm-hmm. to try and get more reps. So I think, like a lot of people see his highlights and like, oh well, he's going to be a guy who can, you know, he's going to be a, a wing creator in the NBA. And I just, I, I, I would be pretty hesitant with that. But I do think he's a guy like you mentioned with with OG. Like um, if he can continue to, you know, improve his his processing and, and feel of the game, and um, you know it. It, it just work on all of the minutia that that's made OG Ananobi a really good defender. I think he has the potential to be a really high level, um, you know, defensive player who can stick on the, on the offensive end of the court when his tools round out. But the, in terms of being like a number one option or on, on, on a team, I don't, I don't know if I see that anymore. So he, oh, I know that was a really uh, long answer. Yeah, no, but, but I mean, that feel of the game thing, I mean, that is one thing I will, I will you know, say about Mobley is I feel like he does have that. And like you say, he's um, there's times where he just looks smooth out there. Um, but with Kamiga, you know, he's he, not quite 19. Um, so obviously with that little of experience, um, it is crazy to think he's that highly rated. Now you have him rated at 13. If, the, if, he, if for some reason he fell and there was a big Kamiga drop, would you feel like um, it'd be worth it for the Pacers to – take him and, and hope he can develop. Oh, undoubtedly. Use all that physical talent. Like 100%. Okay. I think. That's what I feel too. Yeah. Like I think this is the kind of draft I was talking about this a little bit yesterday. Cause a lot of, uh, a lot of the fan base does not like uh, Franz, Franz Wagner, which I don't understand. Oh. I think he's going to be a really high level. He's on my question. List. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about him, but I, I like him. Okay, um, there are guys who I think maybe have a higher upside or ceiling or uh, just in, in a, I think I should rephrase it. I think Franz has a has a high ceiling, but just in a role that you you maybe aren't you know quite like the this Pacers team needs a guy who can um, create with the ball in his hands. That's not going to be Franz at the NBA level, in my opinion, at least not at a high level. So you want to bank more on guys like okay, well maybe they if if the if the um, organization really believes in Kaminga, like the thing with him is like I I, I really hope that they're just going to view the draft in terms of getting the best player that they think they're going to be able to develop. Um, and they just have to be very committed. Like, okay, is Tom Hankins going to, uh, I think we saw last year, like he did. I really liked what Tom did with Fort Wayne uh, and the whole staff did in general, not just to like sound like a kiss ass, but I, I did appreciate what they did. 
Um, I think like that's that's that would be a really interesting test to see um, how the G League team and the, the main club are working together to to develop somebody because they would have to put a lot of a lot of time and effort into bringing Kaminga up to the level. But I do think like if, if you if you have the opportunity to draft him at 13, I don't think that would be a mistake. Like, I think that would be uh, more than more than worth the the, the opportunity, because if, if you get an opportunity to draft somebody with his potential, um, which, again, it's going to take a lot of time to, to help him get to a level where you can do that. Um, but, yeah, that would definitely be worth it in my mind. Cool. I was, um, you know, having dreams of that at one point, but, um, um, you know, thinking about the, the team and what, what are they are with all these veteran guys? And, and if they don't make a move, I feel like drafting a guy like that who's a developmental guy with potentially high upside, um, they could get away with that. Um, on the other hand, you know, are they going to want to kind of use this draft possibly to fill immediate needs um, if they are able to sign McDermott and McCall? I know we kind of talked about that before. Um, uh, and, you know, there's there's guys who could fit into that. I know you've got some um, potential McConnell uh, replacement guys in, in the second round, but um, – and, and that's like – at 13, you're not drafting a guy that you want to be Doug McDermott ultimately, right? You yeah. want a guy that's going to be better than that. I'm just talking about, like, for the immediate next year's team, a guy who can come in and play um, and, and fill a role in the rotation. And then you know develop from there and be a bigger impact player, hopefully going forward. Um, but you, you mentioned Wagner, and, and, that, uh, and that's a guy again. You know, when you're looking at snap judgments, I thought he was really good all year with Michigan, um, and he has one shot, <laughs> one shot in the Elite Eight game that goes haywire, and now it's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, is this guy wired for it? And that's so unfair. Um, and I know that that is definitely weighing on people when they're when they're looking at in Wagner, but um, um, he and who's the other guy? Uh, oh, the young guy from Australia, Josh Kitty. Mm-hmm. Um, see, and again, Wagner's young as well. He's really young, um, but it's hard to see like, a, um, especially with Kitty. I mean, he's got great touch and everything, feel with the ball, passing, not the greatest shooter right now. And that could develop. But that seems like in the Kaminga level, um, another risk that you're, you're wanting those guys to develop into something more than they are right away and they wouldn't be able to help. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Giddy? Yeah, so I actually – I have Giddy fifth on my board right now. Um, okay, the development like, could be there. I like yeah. it. So, and also just to be, to be honest with people, like I, I don't like to pass myself off as an expert, but I have worked extremely hard on this. Like I've, I've watched film. I think I'm, I still have quite a few guys I want to hit, but I'm, I'm comfortable and I've watched film on about 50 guys right now. So (laughs) I, uh, I I do have a a good feel of what I'm talking about Um, with Giddy. He is, it's so funny because I was trying to do my first overall big board. I was really nervous to do it. I I was like, just really hesitant because I, I, I've always been hesitant to get into the draft, Tom, because I didn't want to, a, I didn't realize I was going to go down in this kind of rabbit hole the way that I have. Um, but also like, I just, uh, I was really like, I don't know. I've always been like, 
I mean, you know me, I don't like being critical of, of players. I don't like, mm-hmm. um, I don't like having snap judgments on people. I like really having, you know, going back and watching and rewatching and, and thinking things through before I have anything to say. Um, with Giddy, it was so hard for me because at first, it, on first watch, I was like, I don't like, I get it. He's a, a, an awesome passer, but I just don't see it. And um, I talked to some people, I, I watched more. And the more and more that I watched and the more that I really thought about him, um, the harder it was for me to not have him in the top five. And I think I honestly might put him over Jalen Suggs soon, um, which I think some people might say that that's crazy to me. I think I look at the draft in terms of you have to take like number one is playmaking. Like playmaking is the one thing you just can't really develop at the NBA level. You can develop a shot like we know that guys can come in and develop as shooters um that there's a track record of that in the nba um guys can improve their athleticism in some ways in the nba especially flexibility which is actually going to be something huge for giddy um but you can't develop playmaking like josh giddy would come in and automatically be the best playmaker on on the pacers without question um he probably would would have a lot of turnovers but point being like he's got he would have the best court vision on the team which is saying something considering you know Domas obviously is a fantastic passer. Karras is a good passer. Malcolm's a good passer. Josh would be like, he he's the he's the case study of like, okay, does your strength and conditioning and player development staff have a plan for turning this guy into an NBA level athlete? Because I think that's where it stands for me. He's, his hips are kind of high. He's a little bit stiff right now, but part of that is he's young. He's grown quite a bit recently. Um, are you going to be able to improve his hip flexibility? Are you going to be able to um, just improve his overall ability to bend? And I think that's something that we've seen happen in the NBA, like especially for somebody like, I mean, I just know from when I was training to be a professional athlete, like I never worked on flexibility stuff until I actually got close to that level. And I, it's the, the kind of thing where I'm like, wow, I wish I'd worked on that forever because that would have really helped mm-hmm. me. Um, I know a lot of these guys are getting to this level. Like, I mean, just talking to friends who played division one, like, uh, like they had like yoga classes and stuff like that, but that's the kind of thing, you know, you're, you just kind of going through the motions and BSing it. When you get to this level, you're going to be taking it seriously. So like if he can, I know that was a really long rant, but point being like his handle is, isn't great. It's still a little bit raw right now, but it's, it's functional. Um, he needs to get lower, like getting lower, being able to leverage himself more so he can, uh, get separation is the big thing for him because if he's able to get um get to the paint even remotely consistently with his playmaking level um like that's a guy who could be a a primary initiator on your team so like to me that's a guy that you take a swing on at number five i don't i don't like as much as i love scotty barnes um and and moses moody like i think josh giddy is a guy i look at and okay if if you can really um trust in your organization and trust in that player to develop, then I think there's like the sky's the limit for him. And even if his, uh, he's never able to, you know, if he just becomes like a baseline NBA athlete, he's going to be a positive team defender. Um, he's probably not going to be a great on ball defender because he's like a pretty average wingspan and he's got high hips and he's not the quickest laterally, but um, he's big. So it, it matters a lot less, um, but he, he does have really good rotations and stuff off the ball. Uh, he makes nice digs. I like his like how competitive he is on the defensive end. Um, but also like he I, I think he'll be a good shooter. He took tough shots. 
Uh, the shot got a lot better as the NBL season went on for him. Um, I, and just by virtue of being big, I think he'll be an okay finisher at the NBA level, even if he's not an above the rim athlete. Um, and point being too, like he's going to be a very good connective wing. Who's going to be able to run pick and rolls. Like that's there. Once the last time that the Pacers have had a six, eight wing who can, um, you know, run pick and rolls and, and, and score and, and be that level of passer is Paul George. Like, um, as much as I love Bojan, like Bojan's not somebody you really wanted running a bunch of pick and rolls. You, you wanted to set him up off screen and do stuff for him. So I just think, yeah, if he were to fall to 13, he would be absolutely fantastic. Um, and I know a lot of people are going to look at him and same thing with Franz. I think the, we'll, we'll talk about Franz in a second, but like, uh, I think there's just a, a tendency, like, um, you know, Josh is, it's just, people are going to be, I had a lot of people in mentions yesterday. People are scared of, of drafting the next TJ Leaf. And I don't, I just think both Franz and Josh are a million miles ahead of yeah. what TJ was as a prospect. Like it's yeah. not even close for me. So yeah, that's my really well, interesting. With, yeah. When you were, when you were explaining uh, some of that stuff with him and, and um, getting low um, with the dribble and, and all that, I would first thing I thought was Paul George because, um, when he was going from being a, you know, a young player who was making his bones on the defensive end to being the all-around player, he eventually developed into, I talked to one of his trainers that he was working with in the offseason, and that was the biggest thing they were working on, staying low with the dribble and, you know, trying to not take more than three dribbles before doing something with it that time. Um, and, you know, kind of comparable size. And um, so... You know, if, if he could fall somewhere between, you know, Luca and Paul George, I think that'd be a pretty good <laughs> Yeah. Can't complain <laughs> about that too much. Um, so then with, uh, with Franz, um, he's very different to me. Um, like he's six, eight, six, nine, has a plus wingspan. Uh, he's interesting because I think the biggest knock on him right now is his shot. And I would just counter that, you know, his shot wasn't awesome at Michigan, but, he had a track record uh, over in Europe because he's from Germany uh, where his shot was, was really good. Like he's, he, he's been a more than capable three point shooter for most of his career. So if you're just cutting out the like I, you obviously can't just cut out the context of Michigan, but like just right. taking it with a grain of salt and knowing, Hey, you know, I think the shots can be better. He's a, he's a good free throw shooter. Um, I really like him. I'm not in, so I'm a little bit torn on him just because I I think in terms of like how he would fit on the team and it's less about like like he's a guy who is deserving of getting picked 13 overall like it's not just like you're you're drafting up to to take somebody uh, who would be lower just because they fit your team like he's a guy who's going to be very good like I think people look at him like oh he's just a spot up shooter like this and that. No, uh, he's a guy who can like he's got very good. He, he has a good handle for his size. Um, he's a good passer. Uh, obviously, he's not Giddy's level, but like he's a guy who I think is going to be able to run like second side actions, like run some pick and roll, like do some inverted stuff. Um, that would be really fun. Like, I think he would give you a lot of optionality. Um, like he's not going to be a, a shot blocker, but he's a guy who. Um, like I'm not quite as high on his defense as everyone else's in, in some regards. Like I think some people, like I was talking to somebody yesterday who said that they thought he had defensive player of the year caliber uh, ceiling. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go there. Cause just the baseline athleticism isn't quite there for me, but 
in terms of a guy who like if if he were on the Pacers last year, he would have made them a better team defensively. Like he's that good already. Like I think mm-hmm. he can have some good stretches on ball. Um, he's just such a smart rotator. He positions himself extremely well. He doesn't waste space. Like that's one of the things that I always look at. Like if you're not going to be, if you're not a, a massive plus athlete, you have to be adept with your positioning and uh, and your angling. And he is, he's a fantastic closeout defender. Um, he's great rotating back line. He's good on digs. He's good in help. Like he's a guy you can put him in just about any situation and he's going to be a positive defender for you. And I think you look at that and that's awesome. And I think there are a lot of avenues to him becoming um, a more than positive. Uh, I mean, like a more than neutral offensive player. Like I think mm-hmm. uh, he does have some hesitant hesitancy issues with his shot. Like sometimes he, uh, what, what some of my friends would like to call Academy brain, like in terms of like, just always wanting to make the right, right play. Like he's a guy who will pass up an open <laughs> shot to try and get a more open shot for someone else. And it's like, no, I want you to shoot that. Like you have to shoot that. Um, so I think he's a guy he'll be, he'll be like an above average NBA shooter or at least average, but on higher volume, uh, who's going to have some equity. And he's, again, he's big. So I think he'll be okay at the rim, even though he's not an above the rim athlete, but he's good. I really like him. And I I do think, um, in terms of like overall fit, like he's a guy who could be interesting because you could play him with TJ Warren and, uh, you could have like, just assuming that, that, you know, one of the fives is gone. Or even then, he could be your first forward off the bench or second forward off the bench because O'Shea's there. And he just gives you more versatility in your lineup. So I really like that. I would say, too, though, like I think there are um, there are guys that that project more as being on-ball creators that you probably want to swing on, um, maybe instead of Franz. But I don't think you can go wrong with picking him. Um, so I think that's maybe where some people come from uh, and being a little bit uh, – hesitant about him being drafted at 13 but i still think like overall value wise he'd be fantastic mm-hmm. I, I mean i've seen him play a lot um last two years in michigan mm-hmm. and he definitely made plenty of big moment shots <laughs> from three um that i've seen obviously he, he's, he's definitely uh somewhat streaky and that's an area that he has to develop but um yeah i mean the the all-around game is there, and, and like you say, that defensive side of it is uh, such a great thing to build off of if you're developing a, an NBA guy, um, especially like, you know, if you're, if you're even thinking about comparing or having concerns about another TJ Leaf, it's like not even the same ballpark. So, um, and, and, you know, you bring up the, the point about, you know, there's some other guys that you might like better, and so all these guys are I look at it kind of it's like somebody's going to drop the 13 and it seems like there's a, you know, going to be a, a, a pool of, of guys that, um, that could drop and, and, um, gosh, I feel like we're just scratching the surface still, but, um, another guy, um, who obviously just won the wingspan Olympics, I think most smoothie <laughs> and has, has gotten a lot of, um, a lot of hype after the combine, maybe jumping up too high. Um, would definitely fit um, in a way in a, a need I feel like the Pacers had. I, I love watching him um, play for, for Musselman. Uh, what, what do you think about Moody? Yeah, so he's somebody I, – I have no idea why he keeps getting mocked so low. The only reason I can think of it is that he, there might be some injury concerns with him. If I remember correctly, he had mm-hmm. – uh, some injury stuff in high school. Too. Well, yeah, he just turned 19. Like, he's one of the youngest yeah. players in the draft. Like, it's not even 
Um, like it's kind of wild to me uh, that he's not getting hyped up more. Like he routinely gets mocked uh, almost to, to 20. Like he gets mocked way lower um, than I would expect him to go. And where his talent is like for me right now, um, I'm still updating my next top 50. Like I'm going to have an official top 50 that I'll probably release over IC um, this weekend. It's my goal. Cause I'm just about done wrapping it up and I have all my notes and everything ready to go for it. But um I have Moses number six right now. Like, I think he's that good. And I think a lot of people look at him and they're like, oh, well, he's just, you know, typical three and D guy. And like, yeah, but also I think archetypes are really arbitrary to me. Like Mm -hmm. um, not to to dispute or be disrespectful towards people who like really hone in on those. But I think that's like his avenue. That's his lane. But I think you have to look at what are all of his ancillary skills? Because it's not just like no player is exactly the same. There's a lot of other things that go into it with him. I think he's going to be a fantastic shooter at the NBA level. Like I like his form already. His shot preparation has some work that can be done, but it's already pretty good. And by that, I mean like being ready for the shot before the ball's even coming your way. That's a big impact on a, how quickly you're getting it off and B, you know, just, it has a big impact on the consistency of it. And consistency of shooting is like the very biggest thing. Like you look at Doug McDermott, he is always ready for the ball. Like his footwork is, fantastic like that's the kind of stuff you're looking at at Moody to improve on he's already pretty good with it um what's really tantalizing about him is his his handle isn't great but he's good at getting to his spots already like he's capable of pulling up from two uh which leads me to believe he's going to be more than capable of pulling up from three and he did that a little bit at Arkansas already um his issue is he's really a, a poor rim finisher right now but at the same time like I think that's the kind of thing like all right well he was 18 playing in the SEC so that's part of it. He's also just not a great vertical athlete, if we're being completely honest. But at the same time, if you have a guy who's capable of of hitting pull-up shots, um, of being a good shooter, I think there's some untapped potential as a, as a passer, even if he's not, like, running a lot of plays for you or anything. Like, I don't think you necessarily need that. But I think there's something there in terms of, like, he could develop a little bit more on ball. I think the passing is going to improve because, again, he's – He's 19 years old. He just turned 19. Um, so I think there's there's definitely something there. He's a plus rebounder, too, at his position, which the team would desperately need. Um, and that's without even touching on the defense. Like, he's a guy who I think will be an all-NBA level defender, like an all-defense level defender, I mean. Um, and it's not just the wingspan. Like, he wants to beat you defensively. Um, he had some really great – I mean, he played against some really tough competition – like the SEC was one of the stronger, uh, stronger leagues this year in terms of overall talent. Um, he played some good competition in the, uh, um, I can't speak, in the, uh, in the tournament as well. I weigh the tournament a lot less, though, to just to be completely honest. But, um, like, he's going to be very good. And he's a guy who you see, too, like 6'6", um, will probably grow a little bit too even, but like he's a guy who he gives you more of that lineup versatility uh, for the team. And I think that's the kind of thing that they need. And I like, if he were to be at 13 and they didn't pick him, I would be pretty, I'd be a little bit uh, disjointed. Oh, that'd be rough. Um, I would be very disjointed. Um, and especially too, like, it's perfect. Like he's the guy with injury concerns and he's super young. Why is the team taking that? It's like exactly oh, yeah. look at taking. So why not? Um, but yeah, he would be like, in terms of overall, like, like, cause the way I look at the draft, I talked about this a little bit with Caitlin and just in general in the pod, like I look at it in terms of who is the best player that you can take and you feel confident in developing. Like 
it, it's like we talked about with Gogo. Like it, even if Gogo was their the best player available on the board, which I think a lot of people would say he was, taking him was a mistake in my opinion. Like taking him and mm-hmm. then not not having a real opening for him to play and not having played a thousand minutes in his career yet is like that's disappointing. I mean, I think that's been a a, a a a poor use of a draft pick and just some overall like they have not done a great job. And and part of that is you know we got injured and that that didn't help, but. Like if you look at Moody, like okay, that's this is a guy who I think would have a real opportunity to see the court early, um, and that doesn't mean positive impact. I would always fight back too and say like there just are not many rookies who are ever going to have a positive impact from day one. Like so that's another thing about drafting for fit, um, but having the ability for him to grow into a, a role long term, you can see that, and I think that's uh, that's part of the reason I'm so high on him in general. Yeah, I like, you know, a guy that gets pigeonholed at 3 and D um, being that young. I mean, that's a good baseline to start, I think, similar to what I was saying about Wagner. Um, and also, you know, I mean, I, I feel like if he was drafted, that is another, you know, a consideration for, well, maybe you don't bring Doug back and you, you know, kind of keep that rotation spot open. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of give and take with that exchange. Um, but when you're talking about trying to be efficient and manage a team, um, cap wise and everything, uh, you know, that, that might be a guy worth doing it for, I feel like, um, because of the, you know, the upside potential and, you know, you look at a guy like Mikel Bridges, who's, um, kind of to play that role where he's like, definitely not the number one option, but he can put up a night like last night for Phoenix and, um, and, you know, all of a sudden you, you've got a, a star button there and he's a really good fit um, with the current, you know, contracts and all that um, overall for, for moving forward. So um, let's see, we had time for one, one other thing I wanted to hit on, I guess maybe a couple of guys combined. Um, guy that kind of concerns me, even though I love him and, and could see all the dog in him, Davian Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, he's not Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's not nearly as big. Um, I I love, you know, the dog in him and, and the attack and everything. I saw someone compare him to Fred Van Bleet the other day, which I thought might be um, – I hadn't thought of that. That might be a little more appropriate. Wouldn't be a problem, although I can't see him shooting at that level. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and, you know, James Bookmite has been a guy who's jumped up um, recently, apparently, he's been shooting the ball real well, and he's he's a little a little bigger, a little more of a, a creator, I guess. Um, but what do you think about those two guys and and uh, any concerns? Yeah, so with uh, with Dave Mitchell, I am not very high on him to be completely honest. Like I, uh, yeah. he's somebody who I always am wary of people who get the the turny bump. Like he was yeah. a guy who was getting mocked outside the lottery for most of the year, and then. To his credit, I mean, he played awesome in the tournament, but then everybody's bumping him up like crazy. And I think I get it on one hand, but I also think we way overrate the tournament games. And we have like we have a track record of doing this. And I think it's a mistake that we make every year. It's not like I just am weary for him. Like if he gets drafted seventh or something like I don't I hope he proves me wrong. But like at the same time, I just think that people are a little bit overhyping him like 
He doesn't have a good shooting yeah, track record, which is what's a little bit concerning to me. Like, uh, I think part of the free throw issue was was confidence and just rhythm overall. Um, but this was like an outlier shooting season from him. Like, he has not shown that level of touch as a shooter in That's general. That's a scary part. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I I I don't really I kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, I do like. I mean, he can do some fun stuff getting downhill and as a driver. I don't really think that he projects as like a lead ball handler, and he's. I mean, he's six, barely six one, and he's like yeah. the, the big difference between him and somebody like Donovan Mitchell is like Donovan Mitchell has like an almost seven foot wingspan at oh, six yeah. foot two no, or six foot three. Close. Like yeah. Davion Mitchell's six four wingspan, which isn't bad, but like the the thing with 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 Donovan is like that. Um, that's what helps him be so capable of a finisher at the rim. Um, even though like he's not a great finisher at the rim, but point being like he's got that crazy bounce to like they're just completely different as athletes um i, I do actually kind of like the idea of comparing him to fred van vliet but also like that's the thing if you're drafting fred van vliet or a guy who you're hoping as his best scenario becomes right. fred van vliet uh in the lottery i don't i don't know if i like that yeah. like and i don't even mean that in a bad way like I, again this is sounding ultra uh critical but like point being if you're drafting somebody in this with the seventh pick like your goal is okay this is a guy who's going to carry us on offense for stretches. And I, I just don't really yeah. see that with him right now. And I do think like I have him in the low twenties right now, because I think I would agree, like maybe his ceiling is being a guy like Fred Van Vliet because he's not an awesome, um, like he's not great at uh, around the rim. Cause he's not that kind of athlete, but um, like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, Shabazz Napier too, at the big run mm-hmm. with Connecticut. And then yeah, different type of player. I think Napier is more offensive, but Regardless, it was like, yeah, he, he he couldn't get his full game to to translate, and that's you know with the size and and um, you know when you when you look at those shooting numbers, it, it definitely is it, it would be a leap of faith a little bit with Mitchell hoping he could play like he did in March all the time. You know, that'd be rough. Yeah, well, it's it's tough too because like just going back, I mean, he, he started his career at Auburn, um, and he shot below thirty percent his his freshman year at Auburn. Granted, on low volume, but he also shot below 70% at the line. Uh, his first year at Baylor, which was not this year, but the year before, 32% from three on a, like a higher attempt rate, but still. And then he was only 66% at the line, and then he regressed to 64% at the line this year. And again, the sample size isn't huge, but it's just like it is a little bit concerning for sure. And I actually think, I mean, Jared Butler's teammate, I think, is probably a better oh. prospect in my opinion. But Yeah, I was going to say, I, I wouldn't mind – you know, if if the Pacers are going to um, try and fall back in the draft, if they could, if they did that and could end up, you know, talk about taking a risk on uh, health risk guys, I, I would take Andre Butler. That guy's stout, solid um, point guard. I feel like it could could uh, fit in there nicely. Yeah, I'm a. He's somebody who I've been like. I just haven't been sure what to do with that because. Um, like just knowing he had a heart issue beforehand and that was yeah. part of the reason why he um, why he was at Baylor um, because there were schools that were not going to take him if I remember correctly um, so I'm I'm very hopeful that things will work out for him and he's going to be able to, to play in the NBA but I'm also a little bit worried that, that that's not going to happen yeah. um, but all right so moving on to James Booknight um, He's been odd. I mean, obviously, I wrote that that piece on him about a month ago, uh, and I think he's he's going to be really good at the NBA level. 
but I've also been a little bit hesitant because he's flown up boards, especially since the combine. Uh, now I'm pretty sure he's going to get drafted in the top eight. It feels like um, I'm, I'm just not that I'm not quite there with him. Like there are a lot of people who project him out as having like a, um, like they, you know, considering his handle, uh, like his handle is, is he has flashes of doing really great stuff with the handle, but it's so inconsistent right now. Um, and that's a big part of the reason for why he doesn't get to the rim a lot. Like, I think a lot of people look at him and say, well, he doesn't get to the free throw, free throw line that much. And part of that was he just struggled to get downhill because he's not like he has a like I, I wrote a, a like way more in depth on it. You know, there, there's some balance issues. Uh, the, you know, he, he can kind of be going way too fast for the, the, the dribble to stay alive with him. Um, which is in some ways good because it's like, all right, he has that extra thing that he can unlock, but it's also just not easy to uh, like craft a handle. Um, but I'd also point out he's missed a lot of time, like, uh, and with injuries that are not uh, things that you're worried about, you know, uh, you know, uh, compounding at the next level or anything. It's been some kind of accidental stuff. Um, I think the shot has a little bit, I mean, not a little bit, like his, his preparation has to be a lot better. Um, but he's a guy like I think he's somebody I would be very comfortable taking at 13 and saying, OK, he's probably not going to be an on-ball guy for a while. We can try and get him into that role um, eventually. But like immediately, I think you can plug and play him as uh, somebody who like, you know, it, you, you can find ways to, to use him, especially in the motion offense. Like I think the Pacers will run stuff similarly to how they did last year. At least I hope so. Cause I did like a lot of what, what they did offensively. Um, he's an elite mover. So like the shot has to hit of course, but if like, even if it's just like an average shot, which I think it'll be at least that, and he's going to take some, some really difficult stuff off movement too. Um, like part of his game is really predicated on being able to take and make shots off movement. I would say is, is something worth noting too, but um, like he's going to be very good. It's just going to take a lot of uh, the context is going to be really important for him. In my opinion, like, I don't think he's a guy who's ready to come in and just uh, ball out from day one. Like some people are making it out to be, I think a lot of people are saying like, Oh, he's going to be a 25 point per game scorer in the NBA or a 20 point per game scorer in the NBA. And I think like, um, you know, at the highest level, you know, maybe eventually, but a lot has to hit for him to, to get to that level. And I, part of the reason I, I like him a lot is because I'm confident that that will happen. Um, but it takes, uh, like, it, it's going to be a while before he gets there. Right. Yeah. I, I, you really turned me on to him. And then I started hearing about how he was shooting so well in all these workouts, apparently. And it's going up. But yeah, yeah. The size thing, it seems like he's a little bit of a tweener in there. As you say, he's going to have to find his way the right fit to to uh to get in the right spot to max it out but yeah a guy who can score and, and score up a move like that is, is a good thing to start with kind of like the three and you guys as yeah. well so um it seems like you know all these guys at, at that 13-ish area if they drop you know there's going to be something that needs to be developed but well yeah um, and that's the tough seems part like like... there's a lot of guys with some baseline yeah, well, that's the tough part. Anybody who is there at 13 is going to be like, they're going to have very high levels yeah. that they could reach, but there's just going to be stuff there that's like, okay, they have to work on stuff. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that, that needs improvement because, you know, it's just how it is when, when you're drafting at 13. But, um, yep. you know, hopefully it's going to mean that you can uh, you can have this guy – 
become a really high level contributor for you. All right. Well, I think that's all I got time for today. Um, but I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> I got more. We might have to do a part two of this thing. I would love to. Um, we'll have to do that got, on, uh, on Monday or something. I'm coming up here. And I got to get get off for it. But uh, appreciate all the all the info and and uh, very interesting. I like I like how you got these things ranked. So I'm looking forward to seeing your latest rankings. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tom. To first of all, thank you for taking the time. To everyone listening. Um, I have a, a, a second part of this pod coming up in, in just a moment. So stick around for that. Um, we'll be right back. Um, I'm really psyched to be joined by a friend of mine who I'm not sure how it took us this long to, uh, to finally get on a pod together. We always, uh, you know, we, we chat pretty back and forth regularly on Twitter. I'm much worse at getting back. I, I think anybody who knows me knows I'm terrible at getting back to DMS for the most part. Um, which should make you feel special, Jay, that you have made it on here. I'm joined by Jay Rigdon from over at Awful Announcing. Jay, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Mark. How are you doing today? I am. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, it's not raining outside currently. I always say I'm not going to start talking about the weather, but the weather. I automatically like I just look to my right. I'm like, oh look, there's the window. Um, no, I I was telling you before we got on. Um, Moose is getting more and more expensive by the day because he now has to get special in, in obedience classes that. Um, are going to be solo one-on-one with the trainer that I was not expecting to have to pay for. I thought it was just going to be like some, some group classes that were going to be still mildly expensive, but affordable. And now we've gone from mildly expensive, but affordable to expensive, but necessary. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, that's how, that's how the world is working right now, but it's okay, man. We're here to talk basketball. Um, one thing that I, I think one of my favorite interactions that we've had over this past year that I would love to get your perspective on um, and explain more to the world. Your dog almost won uh, the NCAA March Madness bracket through like the first two weeks, just on a, on a whim. And I know there's a little bit of a story behind it that I think people people will definitely enjoy kicking off their, their Friday with. Yeah, yeah. It's it's my parents' dog, Satchel, technically. Um, Which is a great but, name. I think it's a fantastic yeah. name. I'm very anti, uh, don't like, I mean, if you give your dog a, a plain name, cool. Good for you. I hope you right. love your dog. Just take care yeah. of it. But Still good dogs. Yeah. Exactly. But we, we need more, uh, we need more individualistic names. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Thanks. My, my, my mom will be happy to hear that. Um, yeah, he's, he's a good boy. Uh, so I've done like, we do like a family and friends March Madness bracket pool on ESPN every year. Um, like, you know, just for no money, just for fun. Like my parents like to do it. Like I join in. like every year I, I, I fill out a bracket uh, for their dog satchel based on mascots only. Uh, it's kind of like a little fun little, side diversion it's fun for me because i get to look up mascots for all the different small schools who i might not know otherwise and figure out what they are but i basically pick it based on dogs and then other animals and then from there like you know i think i picked syracuse for him because the mascot looks like a ball so Mm -hmm. you know it's not it's it's not super in-depth of a process but that bracket this year though with all the chaos ended up he was like perfect through i think the first day (laughs) and like he was like one of the last like however many brackets that were actually perfect and then he ended up i think midway through the second weekend he was in like 25th overall on ESPN out of like you know millions of brackets <laughs> so like it was it was pretty fun um that was that was a good time and it was nice to write about that it was kind of a nice little feel-good story overall I feel like at that time but yeah no it's funny I think there are like such little minute things that you can pick up and 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 really um pull something out of like that um also I find it very comical because I I watched a lot more college basketball this year because I got into scouting and doing a lot more with that. 
And I mean, my bracket did fine, but um, it's just, it all, it, it happens every year. Like my, one of my mom's friends who uh, my mom's a teacher and her, her school does like a, a school wide, like her, her, her group of friends is like a school wide um, uh, March madness bracket. Her friend who has never watched a day of college basketball in her life, picked the right national champion, picked like the entire sweet 16, just like all this random crap. Like how, how do you do this? Like, I, I know you can like come down and be like, well, it's just, you know, variability and whatnot, but that, that's a lot of variability. So I, you know, I will always props to people who do that, but it's also like the most annoying thing ever. Cause I'm like, come on, man. It makes me, it, it, you feel like you gaslight yourself. Like, I feel like I should know this stuff. Um, and then the math just says, no, you don't, you, you know, absolutely nothing. Um, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, but we are here for an Indiana Pacers podcast. Um, one of the first things I want to ask you, because I actually don't think I've asked you this before. How did you get into basketball? I always love hearing how people got into basketball and why they enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in a small town in Northern Indiana called North Webster. Um, so it's like near the Warsaw area, if that means anything to anybody. But so I grew up like my parents loved basketball. I grew up playing not very well at all uh, for as long as I could. And I watched a lot of college basketball um, as a kid more. Like I watched a lot of IU um, that was kind of bigger in our house, but I vividly remember watching like the eight points, nine seconds, Reggie Miller game and like falling in love, like with all those Pacers teams that played the Bulls so tough in the nineties. Um, and then I was actually watching the Malice of the Palace live, for example. Like, so I've, like all these like Pacers moments, like growing up that were such key, like sports moments for me. Um, and like the last like four or five years since I started writing about sports um, has really sort of launched me back into following the NBA as a whole and overall too. And that's been pretty rewarding. And yeah, so it's kind of been a pretty big part of like my family growing up. Obviously, we do the family and friends bracket pool, for example. Like, that's a big deal uh, for my parents. And yeah, it's kind of been translated into what I do now all the time. And it's been nice to able to make that sort of a bigger part of my life overall, too. Yeah, no, for sure. I uh, It's kind of funny because I was thinking about this the other day. I probably watched like two IU games all year, which is sacrilege on this podcast, most likely. But um, I just don't I've never like I, when Thomas Bryant and OG were there, I watched IU a lot. But like, I, I don't I like they've just not been a great team to watch. Yeah, I have watched Trace Jackson Davis play like a million times. And I didn't realize until last week that he was Dale's son, which I feel like such an idiot for just not realizing that because Dale's like one of my favorite players of all time. Like, I think my favorite my probably my most worn Pacers jersey is a, is a Dale throwback Flojo jersey. Um, Dale was so good, man. I love watching <laughs> Dale play. Uh, but yeah, I so all right. Another question off that. Uh, what did you think of the like? I this is very minute. We'll we'll talk about Rick Carlisle in a minute. But how wild was it watching <laughs> Ronald Nord get hired after seeing him play at Butler? You know, not that long ago. Um, I think you and I are kind of both in the same stage. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're a little bit older than me. Not to not to shame you on pod. No, uh, no, you're good. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's been different, like seeing all these people who I watch grow up, uh, like play, uh, that are now like taking all these higher up roles. Um, so like seeing Ronald Nord, who played on the awesome Butler teams, uh, come on and now be an assistant with the Pacers is is kind of uh, it's it's a little bit odd, but also really cool because he has an awesome backstory. Yeah, he has a great story. I remember he was, that was one of my favorite things when he was at Butler. Um, I am a little older than you. I'm, I'm 34. So, you know. Dad? No, no, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
wow okay had to have to do it yeah to you, no man. no yeah i get it um it's it's been tough like when you go through you'll you'll get there here too but like when you start getting through your uh, hoping 30s, not hoping these not. things happen <laughs> but you, when you age through your prime free agency years uh and you realize that at this point like you're not going to get that uh the full deal on the market um it becomes tougher but yeah it is interesting watching somebody like norad come back in like the coaching role but he seems like a fantastic prospect as a coach um his story there he's put the work in like for sure and it's it's good to have that like even like like i remember watching calvert cheney play too like as a kid too so having him like on the staff last year was also something um in a similar vein uh so yeah it's it's interesting it's definitely something that is a twist on being a fan like when you start remembering players transition to their post playing career like right in front of you like that is certainly a perspective shift yeah, definitely. And I think what's been uh, what's been weirdest for me is seeing like uh, like this this postseason. I, I tweeted this a while back. Um, this is like the first postseason where it's really felt like guys my age are taking over the NBA. Like, I mean, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell was awesome before he started dealing with some ankle injuries in the playoffs. Um, like seeing these guys who are like, I'm like, shit, I want I mean, I was in college the same time these guys were like, I remember watching Trey Young's run when I was in school. Um which actually I'll, I'll, I'll hold this for forever. Um, Buddy Heald had a more memorizing, uh, a more mesmerizing college run than Trey Young did. Part of it was because Trey Young's team just sucked. Um, and Buddy was awesome. I think they went to the final four, but yeah, I like, it's just so different seeing this stuff play out on court. Now I'm like, wow, that guy's like, that guy's my age. What is happening here? Um, like I, uh, I interviewed miles earlier this year, and I think it was his birthday, so I told him happy birthday. And I was just like thinking about it. I was like, I've watched Miles play for almost a decade now. I'm like, what is happening? Like, that's not that's not how it's supposed to be. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening. It's like, dude, you're not even that old yet. Like, I, I just turned 24. It's not, it's not anything earth-shattering. But you're getting that first uh, kind of earmarking of like, oh, wow, I've been around for a little bit. So it's <laughs> a, like, I mean, the 13-14 team is seven years ago now that we saw them play in the Eastern Conference Finals in the playoffs. Like, how insane is that, man? Like, I was wow. I was really thinking about that. I'm like, that can't be true. Like, there's no way that that was seven years ago. But it's it was seven years ago. Yeah, time is a mysterious thing, Mark. You know, yeah, it, it, it always comes. But that's it's it. It makes me respect too, like players, like not just like LeBron, obviously, who are obviously still in the league and playing super well, but guys that hang on like into their late there's like Vince Carter, for example, like the fact that like he was still playing professional basketball at a very high level, um, like very recently. And I remember watching him play like in the Olympics in middle school, like for me, like in jumping over. Back when he still had hair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that exactly. was like the one like, time he had hair is when uh, he dunked over Friedrich Weiss. So yeah, it's been a minute. It's, yeah. It's, it's crazy how you can bridge eras that way with various careers too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, even going back to like the the 04 draft class, like Mello, I think this was Mello's 16th, 17th year. I mean, him and Braun both 16 yeah. and 17. Um, like if you go back to the first team Carmelo Anthony's playing on, I'm trying to remember who all is on it. I think, I mean, I think Chris Anderson's on that team. I actually, no, I don't think Chris Anderson was on that team. I don't remember the 2004 Nuggets because <laughs> I was seven years old, but um, I know it was a really long, long way back. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, even just looking at where, uh, where LeBron was, like he's playing with, with Damon Jones and um, all these guys. So, I mean, Eric Snow is yeah. playing still. Like it's he, he played it's, with Alan Henderson, for example. Like it's that's crazy. I forgot about Alan yeah. Henderson for a second. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. You're, you're you're really bridging the gap there. Um, 
So, I mean, speaking of bridging the gap with Rick, Rick Carlisle coming back, um, first of all, what was your reaction to that hiring? Like, how did you feel about it? And what does that kind of stir up for you? Because, I mean, you were around a little bit as a kid growing up <laughs> with with him in, in his first run with the Pacers. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic hire, like first and foremost. Like I was I was driving and I got a couple texts um, that they were bringing it back. And I was like, wait, what? I had to actually pull over and check to see that I was interpreting it correctly. Mm-hmm. Because it seemed such like so far-fetched to me. Like it happened so quickly, first of all. And it was such a departure from the process last season, which is less than a year ago because of the calendar. So that feels super recent to me too. But the just the way that the Bjorkren era the, the one season era went it felt like a lot longer than the <laughs> yeah it did it yeah. dragged it dragged on but like, it's so clearly just not only a reaction to that i think um in terms of like hey we're going from something that didn't work out in ways that are very rare for the pacers in terms of like making off court the story and like clearly not being together and like it, they went from that to one of the I think still one of the best coaches in the NBA. Yeah, easily. And I'm so used to um, attracting top talents to Indiana being difficult, either on the coaching or the playing side. Like I know that they've had really good coaches in the past, but like they don't typically go after um, someone like Carlisle and that it is someone who has been in Indiana before and knows the challenges and the positives and knows the ownership and knows a lot of people in the front office still. Um, like that is something that is reassuring to me as a fan um, because it tells me that he's, he knows what he's getting into and he's doing it for a reason. And he, Rick Carlisle could have either not coached this year. He could have gone somewhere else. Presumably he would have had other opportunities um, either this year or in the near future. And that he sees something here in Indiana that is worth making that choice to do like right now um, tells me like that makes me excited as a fan. Like that, gets me much more back into it and feeling much more positive than all of this past season did. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with that to an extent. I think um, it's one thing that stand out stands out. Like, yeah, I was surprised that, that Rick got hired. Um, Like obviously we'd heard rumblings, like um, maybe Rick Carlisle will come back to Indiana. He has the ties. And I was like, yeah, he has the ties, but why? Like what, what is he going to come back for? I don't mean that as a diss to the team, but it's more just like coming off this season um, I didn't expect the the Simons to, to shell out that kind of money. And there were a lot of people who came out and were defensive of the Simons and said, oh, you know, like to say that they've been cheap before is wrong. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit. I don't know if I agree with that, but um, like to, to make that commitment was huge. And I think what uh, what I'm most interested to see with this and it feels like I mean, I'm just kind of waiting for the finals to I mean, I'm not waiting for the finals then because I'm loving them. I'm enjoying covering them. But like um in looking at what's going to happen, I mean, Summer League is August. It starts August 8th, I believe, August 8th or August 9th. Um, I want to say free agency starts up around then. We're like a month from free agency right now, um, which is when everything's going to go hog wild with trades, especially considering, I mean, the, the draft is in 20 days. Um, like we've already seen some trades happen, which I always forget that they can happen before the draft until they do. Uh, Cause there's always one like every year, but this was definitely the biggest one with Kemba Walker getting traded. But um, I I'm, I'm not trying to forecast that there will be changes, but it do, it just seems like, I don't know if you watched the introductory press conference from Rick, but it feels like uh, 
just based on his wording, KP's wording, and also like KP's past press conference, um, it feels like they've really left the door open to do kind of anything, which I, I both like and dislike in some regards sometimes, but it's part of the reason why I'm not in a front office because I'm somebody who likes to make a decision and just go ahead. Like I, I like going 110% into something. I, and it, you can't necessarily do that all the time with, with a team. Like you can't just decide, all right, well, we're going to go win a championship this year. Cause it's, it's not that simple, but um, I am kind of interested to see what direction they decide they're going to have at the beginning of the year, because right now I think they have a lot of different paths that they could go down headed into this year. Um, and there are a lot of decisions that they're going to have to make leading up to it to, to kind of hone in on what they're doing. Um, and I guess one of the questions I'd have for you off that is like, how do you feel about, all right, if this team comes, let's say they do completely run it back. Obviously you're going to draft somebody with the 13th pick unless they trade it. Um, you know, if that's the team that you you come back with and and you have some minor additions or subtractions in free agency, um, and the only real difference is Rick Carlisle and the, the coaching staff, which is already starting to fill out pretty well. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about that? What is your thought process with where that's at? Yeah, I think I would be like, I would understand it. Like, I guess I think a lot of it depends on like, you know, their, their own, like, luxury tax line that they're at like whether mcconnell and mcdermott are options or possible is to bring back i think i would be pretty disappointed though because that would be essentially two off seasons in a row where the pacers just sat out like one of the main windows to improve the team and improve the roster and i think even if you love you love the team that you have like if you look at how the nba works and how sports works in general like other teams are always trying to get better right they're they're taking advantage of those moments um where you can make changes and doing so. And I think it was more understandable last year when you had, you know, coming off the four seed in the East and like clearly Kevin Pritchard in the front office thought that they were in a good position um, and they still tried to make changes, right? They still like, they would have been open like to the, to the Hayward edition. Um, and I think that's kind of a signal that, no matter what they say, like I know a lot of interpretations of Carlisle's press conference were, well, he loves Miles Turner as a bonus. He's talking about being able to do but work those things together. Like, what else is he going to say, right? Like, yeah, you have exactly. to cover your bases. Yeah. Like, that's the yeah, idea. Rick Carlisle is he know he's a smart guy. He's been around for a long time. Like, he's not going to come out and even if he wants more than anything to move one of the centers, for example. Like, I don't know, obviously, but if if that's part of the thing that maybe he talked about with Kevin Pritchard, like if they talked about roster moves or changes that they were both open to or interested in, he's not going to come out and say that in the opening press conference, right? Like that's the last thing he's going to say because that tanks any potential trade value and leverage. And it also instantly alienates at least one or two players on the team before you're even there. So that's never going to happen. Um, so I think you don't want to lock in on that too much. Um, but yeah, I think that if, this team missed the playoffs last year, right? Like I know there were a ton of injuries and there were a ton of health issues and they were integrating new pieces and there are many reasonable excuses and many things that make me feel better about their chances to perhaps bounce back a little bit this year, no matter what happens this off season. But at the same time, like it's still like, there are certain things that could be improved on. And I think that if they just were to completely sit on their hands, like from the start and say, we're done. Like we're set. We're, we want to get this into this. Like, I'm sure there could be a little bit of a bounce back with better injury luck and Carlisle's ability to coach and manage people 
but like that would still feel a little weird to me to basically go most of two years with making just a couple minor changes um and like you know the Vic for Levert trade but it's like that that would be frustrating as a fan yeah, even just like as somebody who analyzes the team, it would be a little bit frustrating to me too. And I, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to sell the group short. Um, I, I think we saw, even with uh, Vic missing most of the season um, two years ago, that was a good team. Like, I thought that team was a lot better than people ended up giving it credit for. It was a really wonky year. It's hard to gauge what the bubble really meant. And and looking at that playoff series, um, I mean, I think the team, like, we don't have to rehash that. We know the team made yeah. the right decision. <laughs> Nate McMillan admitted himself that it was the right decision. I'm, I get annoyed that we have to rehash this every time, but, you know, we are where we are. And I'm so happy for Nate, by the way. Yeah. I'm, like, he, he was he was awesome. He made really good changes uh, that I did. I mean, he just, frankly, did not make in Indiana. But also, I would love to point out to people, here I am rehashing everything. Um, as I said, I don't want to rehash <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it is always worth noting, the roster was not, ever going like the just where the team was at you could you could point out flaws but you know there was never necessarily a time where that team was supposed to make it past the first round so that yep. is, is what it is but uh point being um <laughs> like i think that's what i look at with this team even if you have a fully healthy group i think you, that's where you start to see some problems if this team is fully healthy so just to, to rattle off all right you have the Sabonis, malcolm brogdon karis levert miles turner and tj warren so starting five you have Justin Holiday, TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett, Doug McDermott, Jeremy Lamb, Edmund Sumner, Goga Batadze, uh, and Aaron Holiday. It's 13 players. Um, yeah. You do not, you can't play 13 guys. Like it's just in, like part of it is you have to have depth. Like obviously you have to have guys with depth, but I think um, if there is a change, uh, like I, I personally still feel like it, it, it isn't. Uh, like it's it's very up in the air. I'm I'm not like saying that it has to go one way, but I do think uh, if they're going to move one of the bigs, it should happen this offseason. I personally would rather, all right, let's commit to doing something for the full year and see how it goes, or let's just make this move now because I feel like I don't know if you're going to have better trade value at the at the deadline. Maybe they think otherwise, so they have different intel. But that's my mindset with it normally. But I also would say it feels like this off season is very prime for some kind of shuffling around with the bench and um, you know, improving uh, improving just individual talent. Cause they need more self-creation off the bench specifically. Um, part of that is, you know, Jeremy was injured and that really sucked, but I also wonder if they're going to be hesitant to move him because I mean, he was coming off of a really rough leg injury um, and also you know, the, the scheme in general was not great for him. He's already a pretty poor defender. Um, asking him to play that aggressive scheme while, while having his, uh, his kind of deficiencies on the defensive end was uh, – it, it made him look probably a lot worse than, than I think he was, to, to be completely fair. But also, he's tied up with a lot of money, so you never know what direction he'll go. But point being, there's a lot of uh, – you know, there's a lot of variability that could happen with, with the end – not just end of bench, but just the bench in general. Yeah, and – Lamb's interesting because the Pacers aren't exactly like rolling in wing depth that can create offensively at all, much less for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, Levert, Brogdon, and Warren are all good players. They all have their own injury concerns and histories too. Um, and obviously so does Lamb, although only with the Pacers. So that's been interesting, but the it's, it's, it's tough. And I think the way the Pacers constructed their roster with like a lot of good players is not how a lot of teams do it. And I think 
it was it's an interesting choice it's an interesting way to go because you know you have like no weak links you can go like 10 deep with you know at least average nba players on most nights and that's of strength that's a plus especially in the regular season but i think if you can consolidate some of those players down and bring in like you know you, you take two or three roster spots that are currently used on average to good players or like things like that and turn it into like one above average or really good player that sort of sets up the entire rotation a lot more smoothly um, in my eyes anyway. And I think yeah. that's something that, yeah. So, and I think they have like the mix of contracts and like young, decent to good, to really good players to be able to do that if they want to. Um, and I think that's probably something they're going to explore doing. I would hope it's something they explore doing. I don't know like what options are out there. I think that's just so much dependent on other teams and what they decide to do. And I think one thing the Pacers have been good at is sort of being the facilitating team. And they might be in a really good position to do that this offseason too, because they have a lot of those mid-sized contracts that can make salaries work for other teams. And so like maybe you can, you know, attach yourself to a deal and sort of feed in that way instead of being like, you know, a blockbuster centerpiece one-on-one trade. But it becomes it's 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 a pivotal offseason, I think, in a lot of ways, because you're sort of setting up the next era here, right? Like with Carlisle coming in, they are not going to tear down the entire team, but they're not in a position where they can, you know, be a free agency player anytime soon for a variety of reasons. So it becomes like either you go for it here in terms of go for it by like, you know, um, making these roster changes and like sort of splitting up the centers or if you decide to like whatever that looks like. It becomes an interesting, an interesting time. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it's going to look like, but I agree. Like, I think uh, I look at it and uh, you need more of that forward depth, like having somebody like, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of wings on the roster, a lot of combo guards. And of course, there are the three bigs. Um, you got to find a way to, to get somebody else who's a forward. And I think part of it, like having O'Shea and uh, TJ hopefully healthy at the same time will be really good. But I still think there's room to maybe get in a third guy who can, contribute there um but i don't know man it's very up in the air and we're gonna see like i think uh i I still don't know if both tj and uh i mean tj mcconnell and and doug will be back money wise it's very that's i mean without paying the luxury tax it's impossible for that to happen unless they make other moves on the roster um so i don't know if that'll happen but um a lot up in the air there i guess probably the last thing i would ask i mean in terms of looking at this next year, what are your expectations then? Because I, it, to me, it felt or like, how are you viewing what what is going to be a successful season for this? Because um, to me, it really felt like the mandate that, that came out was they, they want to make the second round of the playoffs next year, um, which is I mean, that's doable. Um, but it's still just after how this year went, it's a little bit, I, I wouldn't even say that's hard to see it, but there's going to have to be a lot of, uh, a lot of change up. And I'm sure there will be, I mean, obviously completely new coaching staff um, other than Calvert Cheney staying on, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, where are you at with that? So it's tough. Um, I, I would expect them to improve on last season, for example, um, in, a, in many ways. Um, but I think, there are other factors to consider like the East is a lot better now than it was the last 10 ish years. Right. Mm-hmm. So like at least the, the bottom half, like the playoff range of the East, um, there are more teams that are trying. There are more teams that are, you know, competent to like potential playoff teams. 
but like I think expecting them to make to like I think expecting like them to avoid the plan games would be would be a good step um, if like if that's like or at least that range of the seating, and I think expecting them to at least compete in the playoffs is like in like a, a good competitive first round series like would be something to focus on because like the top of the East say they get the six seed, like they're probably facing, like if we're projecting a little forward, you know, the top of the East is really, really good still. Um, so like expecting them to knock off like a Brooklyn or a Philadelphia or a Milwaukee or a team of that caliber, it's still, that that's a lot to ask. I know that's like, I, it's what you should want as a fan, right? Like that's what I want. I want to see him like go in and win and make a run. Um, but if I'm looking at it as a successful season, I think last year was so bad in so many ways um like it's i think if you can sort of if you see, i, I want to see a plan i guess like i want to see like this i want to see a first step of a roster plan and a first step of like carlisle coming in and being able to like meld his coaching style to the talent and i want to see like a foundation laid i guess to move off of from there um, with some of their younger players and i want to see them compete in a ways that they did not do at all last season so like that's what i i guess i want to look for like i i'm not expecting them to make a deep postseason run next year um i would love it if they did that would be fantastic i think if you look at this year's playoffs you can sort of see ways that that could happen like there's always like the sun's getting praised for never tanking and always trying to compete and going forward even when that's been wild to me man yeah i saw this tweet yesterday um or no it was today it was uh i um and the, the, the dude was like uh we're not talking enough about how the Suns are doing exactly what every organization should they have a good gm they have a good coach and they went out and got the, the best player i'm like did we did we miss the last you know decade of Suns basketball or what are we doing here like is <laughs> did we forget the robert sarver goat shitting in in, in the office incident like i did not that's <laughs> no. for sure um yes. but yeah there is still validity to it like you like Putting your roster in a spot, I think the Suns were able to fast track it. Um, and James Jones did a great job there. But like you saw, okay, the bubble is their setup period, and then they're able to go get Chris Paul. I don't think that that's something that you can envision with the the the, the Pacers right now, obviously. Right. Um, but like that's kind of the idea. I think that's how I tend to view it. Like you want to do what Toronto has done, in my opinion. You want to become a you know, upper rung team without necessarily having that top end player because you're just not going to get them, frankly. And tanking is just ultimately not that viable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, like, I think a lot of people would disagree with that. I think it's better to just be uh, competent now because it's easier. OK, if you have the opportunity, go go make a move for Kawhi Leonard, if it, even if it is only for one year. Like, I think that's so different, too. Like everyone who always like looks at that, they're like, well, it was only for one championship. And I'm like, that's OK, only first of all, you're saying only. Like, second of all, that's just a very different situation because, all right, well, let's say that you do get somebody and they do want to stay. Like, it was different because, like, Kawhi, I think wherever Kawhi go- went, he was going to go to L.A. Like, he he wanted to go to the Lakers. Greg Popovich declined that trade. Um, or, like, just reportedly, Greg Popovich was very anti any kind of Lakers trade. Right. Um, so Kawhi ends up going to Toronto. And of course, he ends up leaving to, to Los Angeles because that's where he's from. He wanted to he bet on the record as wanting to go play there. Um, so it's different. Like, I think if the, you can look at this team and like, all right, well, maybe they're able to make a, a good run or do something. I don't want to say like Atlanta did because Atlanta is, I think, a little bit of an outlier in this. Yeah. 
Um, but you want to see them make like a, a, a deeper run in the playoffs and okay, maybe there's a move to be had in terms of, of taking the next step. Like that's how I always look at it in terms of like, all right, when, when Reggie was here, um, it's different too. Cause Reggie was, uh, a, I mean, just a fantastic player. He would easily be the best player on the roster now if he was in his prime or even like just slightly out of his prime. Um, and point being like, all right, you keep staying consistent. You keep staying confident. And, and I think confidence sometimes gets used in a, in a bad way. I mean, more like being a winning team with, with opportunities to go farther than the first round is important uh, because then you have the opportunity to build off of it. Um, and there's just, there's something there. Um, but like you mentioned too, not to keep going on on a long run in ramp, but like you were mentioning about seeing the possibility to move up, the East is just a lot better in general. So like, even if, Philadelphia, and I, I think it's more when than if, even when they trade Ben Simmons, the Philadelphia team is still going to be really good unless, okay, well, Joel Embiid's health is always up in the air. Um, you can look at Brooklyn and say, okay, well, that team's probably the best team in the East next year if they're all healthy, which, again, that's another if. But, I mean, that team is really freaking good, as we saw. They only had two guys in the playoffs, and they were fantastic. Um, I have no idea what to think about what Milwaukee's going to be like next year, but they're still going to have Giannis and Chris Middleton, presumably. Um, so that team's going to be good. Uh, the Knicks, I felt like, uh, I mean, they're going to probably make some upgrades in free agency. Part of their, I, I wouldn't even, I, I don't, I think it would be disingenuous to say that their year was lucky, but I think the Knicks have established themselves as a playoff team. Now the Hawks are definitely breaking into the upper crust of the Eastern conference after making the Eastern conference finals. And just since Nate took over there, they were one of the top four teams in the East. So yeah. Um, Boston, I have no idea what to think about yeah. what's going on with Boston right now, but they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which is like just about the best young duo in the East right now. Um, you have Washington, TBD on Washington. <laughs> I, I think if Bradley Bill is going to get traded, it's going to be this offseason, um, just given how some stuff's gone. Um, that's just my opinion. I'm not like, obviously, I'm not reporting anything, no shit, but um, I just I, I don't know. I have a really funky feeling about about Washington right now. And a lot of the reporting around what they're doing, what's going on there is kind of all over the place. Um, and Charlotte, too. I mean, Charlotte is definitely on their way up. They're a really young team. I think they're primed to make a move this offseason uh, and do some of the same stuff and consolidating to maybe try and get an upper level player to move up. And even then Chicago, like Chicago struggled with injuries because Zach Levine missed like almost a month with health and safety protocols after the Vucevic trade. So that fell through for them, but they're primed to come back next year and be better. And they want to make the playoffs. So there are like 10 or 11 teams you can squint at and say, okay, they're all trying to make the playoffs. And I think Toronto's in there too. Like they are, they're definitely going to come back and have a better year next year. Uh, assuming. So uh, yeah, a lot has to, has to kind of work out for this team to become in, 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 like a higher level playoff team. Yeah. Yeah. The Pacers aren't in a vacuum, right? Like you can't, like if you want to talk about like their benchmark, like, it's it's tough versus what a lot of Pacers fans were maybe used to for a long time, which is teams in the East. To, it was it was a weaker conference overall, especially in the middle to the bottom of the conference. And so I always try to remember that. And I think you list all these teams that are trying to get better. That also is sort of exact, exactly why it's tough for me to think the Pacers aren't going to make or at least try to make roster changes this offseason because going back with the same essentially the same team for the third straight year would be pretty tough when all these other teams are popping up um, and making those moves and making those changes to try to improve. Um, it's, it's interesting. They're in an interesting spot for sure, but I think expecting them to maybe be back in that tier, like right below 
the top of the conference. And I think that is not unreasonable. I think that is something they could definitely strive for this year. And if you look at how the playoffs played out, you sort of see how valuable just being there can be. Like that is the frustrating thing for me as a Pacers fan is I feel like <laughs> like so many Pacers teams of the last like two decades would have been in a great spot if the, what has happened in this postseason happened in any of those postseasons. Like if they had been in a spot where they can you know, be that solid, deeper team like that grinds things out and is there and ready to compete all the time like it would have been a pretty good offseason or pretty good postseason to be that team um and this was the one year where they didn't even make it so that's that was pretty tough timing yeah no i agree man there's a great point with that and i think it is different too like i always try and point out like atlanta has trey young and trey young swung both of those series for them i mean clint capel was awesome john collins had his moments uh, Bogdan McDonovich was probably their third best player. I think Clint was probably their second, but like point being, they just had loaded rosters with a lot more shot creation. That's what you're looking for. And that's what I'm hoping the Pacers really target in the draft. Um, there are guys who I think will be at 13 that um, are ideally going to help them, you know, find that way. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Like we haven't gotten to see Kevin Pritchard ever take somebody in the lottery. Um, like obviously he was part of the front office that selected miles Turner, but like, this is a real opportunity to select at least a player who's going to be a starting level guy in the league. I think that's the idea. If you're, if you're drafting somebody in the lottery, that is the hope. The guy's going to be a, at least a, a starter to a plus starter. And I think there are, are options to do that. Um, but yeah, man, unless you have anything else you want to hit, I think we've, we've hit a pretty good amount here. And I also would mention, I forgot to, uh, to say Miami in there. Miami is definitely one of yeah. the better teams in the East when they're healthy. So uh, yeah, can't forget about them too. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of the point, right? There are just so many, like, it's hard to like, just, and even like, like Detroit has the number one pick. They were a much better team this year than I think people realized. Um, They're on their way up Cleveland. I am not as high on, um, but they have a really high end pick that could end up translating into something. I think that there were some of the groundwork was done for them to be a better team moving forward. Like the central division is kind of closing in a little bit. It's always been uh, bucks pacers a tier below. And then, yeah, everything yeah. else is crap. But like, yeah, and the now Bulls aren't going to be bad forever. Too, yeah, right? they have they're a major market team, and they're being run more competently now than they had been. So like, that's also something to watch out for. Yeah, one hundred percent. Luckily, divisions don't matter anymore. Yes. Um, I don't know if you ever watched. Did you watch the? Uh, it was one of the best playoffs series I ever watched. But it's just ridiculous that it happened when it was uh, Clippers San Antonio. I think it was twenty fifteen. It's twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen. Yeah. Um, and that's when Chris Paul had the game winning shot, but like tore his hamstring. Um, yeah. Exciting shit. I hate injuries so much, man. But yes, uh, yeah, the I still can't believe that the visions lasted that long as, and, and determined playoff seating for that long. It's just kind of crazy to me. But yeah, you know, they didn't ask me. Well, Jay, uh, do you have anything in the works right now or anything that you want to plug before uh, before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, not really. If you just want to. Like, uh... I'm on Twitter at jrigden5, number five, because, uh, yeah, so there's that. But other than that, not really. You can follow me at Awful Announcing. Like, I do, I do stuff almost, like, feels like seven days a week. So, like, if you ever read me over there, that's great. But Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Everyone, of course, go follow Jay. I always enjoy getting to talk. Um, or I guess I should say I enjoy getting to talk in person. Now <laughs> we haven't gotten to talk in person forever. That's true. Um, anytime I, ho I hop in Indiana, I'll, I'll be sure to stop by, man. Uh, everyone, again, go follow Jay. And most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.